I have called you all here today at the behest of Don DiManzo to discuss the expansion of our Jersey territory. Our Don has seen an opportunity to move into Atlantic City at an event called AC Boardwalk Con, which will be happening May 14th through the 17th, 2015. Don DiManzo has asked that some of our made men attend this convention and convince the locals to try two true freaks. Joining me, Gene Hendricks, on this trip will be my Quantum Cast cohort, Jeff Fishman. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, will be representing the Boston arm of the family, while Scott McGregor will be representing the New York branch. Our capo, Chris Honeywell, will also be there to provide some added persuasion. Your Don has asked that any of his loyal friends in the area come and pay their respects to this new endeavor. He reminds you that all the information on the event can be found at doacbc.com. That's doacbc.com. Come help us make Atlantic City an offer they can't refuse. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Destruction sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found the spot. I'm talking the spot to the sand. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday on Two True Freaks. This is the TOS, the original series edition. 
My name is Scott Gardner, and I am one half of your podcasting uh, hosting team for this endeavor. Uh, let me introduce to you my bestest buddy, <laughs> Chris Honeywell. You know you Bradley. How's it going, freak? I need a brain transplant. <laughs> this is the wrong episode for that. <laughs> We covered that one already. Yes, we did. And I should have taken notes. I'm on remote control right now. <laughs> so how's things for you? Good. It's starting to starting to heat up. I'm in the barbecue business, so that's starting to get going at my at my job and spring is coming, so that means garage sales are starting up pretty Ooh. soon. And uh I got two cons coming up, one of which you're going to be at. Mm -hmm. I got the Atlantic City Boardwalk Con coming up, I think, the 12th through 15th of May in uh, Atlantic City, of course. And uh, Eternal Con in Long Island. Island. It it occurs to me that uh, we uh, we need to come up with some sort of a promo or something for that and start pimping that right now. Because we're already, (laughs) by the time this episode comes up, we're already... Uh, gonna be in uh, in mid-April, and that con is in mid-June, mid-June, so that's only two months. So yeah, we need to. And now that we're old guys, we know how fast two months goes by. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it's scary. I can't believe that it's uh, it's this far into April already. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, that's frightening. By the time this episode goes up, my birthday will have gone by. Ooh, I'll be another year older. Yeah, and it'll be too late for people to send you presents, although I'm sure you'll forgive them if they send you presents late. Yes, I will scratch <laughs> scratch their names off my shit list if they send me something <laughs> a little bit late, yes. <laughs> and when he says shit list, it's literally scrawled in his own shit on the wall. That's how, <laughs> that's how committed he is to it. <laughs> oh, man. That's so a room hear... that his wife is not allowed in. That's his, his <laughs> bluebeard room. So I hear you got some Trek funny books. I've been piling up the Trek funny books so much so that I've got my own short box now dedicated to Star Trek comics. Wow. Yeah, I had I got that when I got the John Byrne collected big old box or book, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, last Friday, I went to and uh, now I can't remember the the name of the place. It was in Canandaigua with uh, Johnny Bueno. He had been there uh, a y- the year before, and the guy was still unpacking his comics, so he had sort of, you know, put it in his memory, you know, to come back there, you know, a year later after this guy had, like, gotten more stuff unpacked. And the guy obviously was a big Star Trek fan, because the ex- exact first thing I saw in the door was a uh, shoebox full of 50-cent Star Trek books. Oh, wow. All of which, all the ones that I would have wanted, I already had. So, But still, a nice, you know, the you know the David Gerald making of Star Trek book and all that sort of stuff. Um, some of the numbered, you know, James Blish ones. But then he had a big box. You know, it was a short box. About, you know, about three quarters full. It was 75 bucks for the whole box and three for two dollars of all Star Trek comics. Mostly DC... You know the the um, a few mar- a, a couple of the Marvel, but mostly DC and Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. 
I picked up a few just random next generation ones just because I knew I didn't have them and threw them into my collection. And uh, I got, I picked up, even though I've had both of them, they're both kind of beat up. I picked up nicer copies of uh, the adaptations of Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four. Um, oh wow, really? Yeah. I hope you got them super cheap. Three for two dollars. So they're like what sixty five cents? You that, know? Yeah, that's well, that's a that's a decent that's price. That's about right for for those. I'm trying to remember what the cover for four was is the cover really for four boring. just headshots it's like headshots i think it's, it's got really the colorful, enterprise right? over the golden gate bridge maybe but it's really like if i remember right it's really like kind of washed out light you know yeah it's it's, it's not that good they're, they're, they're not that good they're you know the arts the cover for three i always really like the cover but, uh, for three is beautiful painted yeah. cover because I want to say, I, I know the cover for three is is Howard Chaik, and I want to say it is for number four as well, but I'm not 100% on that. But I do know that the interiors are shit on both of those. Yep. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're not good. The, the only thing they're really worth owning for is the covers, and I think they had some DVD extras in the story, you know, some, you know, some deviations but, from the way the movie plays, essentially. As I recall, the art is yeah, it's just as the comics, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. But the ones I want to really focus on is, uh, and you're right there with me. We've talked about these ones before, but uh, I picked up. I'm up to number four of the um, Planet of the Apes Star Trek comic. I just read that today and had a major geek out because when uh, when they all beam back down to the planet again, and. Mm -hmm. Taylor made the big deal about, hey, you know, you don't want to wear those colorful uniforms down there. You'll stand out like a sore thumb, you know. So he, everybody, you know, he switches back to basically his loincloth, and then Kirk and Spock and everybody else in the in the landing party switches to more or less like you know native garb. And did you notice the outfits that Kirk and Spock are wearing? Well, here's the thing, and and I've been spoiled on this because you posted on Facebook about this, okay. but it was bothering me. <laughs> Because I could tell that those outfits were something, you know, they were too, right. they were too detailed and designed and familiar looking to me, but mm -hmm. it was driving me nuts. And I was just like, I know there's a, those are somewhere, but they're not from the movies, but I never right. made the leap to think that, that they were from where they were. Yep. They were the outfits of the two astronauts on the TV show of Planet of the Apes. So I, I just, I mean, it's super subtle. I mean, if you if you wouldn't know it, if you didn't, you know, catch it, you'd never know it. Well, it was know? reaching so it, back. It was tweaking something in the back of my childhood mind because that was when that was the last time I watched the TV. Right. Of the Apes. I tried to watch that. Oh gosh. I've watched clips you know, from it, and that's kept yeah. me from rewatching. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, with with all apologies to you know everybody involved, it uh it was not good. It was it was somewhere around like it was a little better than Land of the Lost, but it was somewhere in that budgetary back lot. <laughs> eh, I'd I'd rather watch Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost had some than, cool yeah. like stop motion animation in it. Exactly. So. At least it had dinosaurs and slee stacks. Yeah. You know? The Planet of the Apes TV show didn't have a lot working for it other than... Um, it was literally, like, shot in the back lot. It was probably... A lot right. of the shots were shot where, the you know, Kirk fought the Gorn and stuff. And we're parts of right. this episode that we're doing today got... Yeah. 
But I mean, you know, it had Roddy McDowell, and then it had um, uh, Spock's dad, uh, Mark Leonard, as the the main uh, gorilla agitator. I can't remember what it is. Orco, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can't. I love that term, though, gorilla agitator. I want <laughs> agitator. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I, I just well. thought that was cool. I mean, I while I am no fan of the TV show, I just I thought that was a nice little nod. Yeah, you know? I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I mean the enjoying... TV show has its fans. They're nothing, you know. Just like the just like the zombie one, you know. It's it's nothing. I never read the Doctor Who one, but I imagine it's it's fluffy, you know. But it's fun. It is very fun. I, I thought the the second issue is it the second issue where Kirk and that second issue is for... where they they just the second issue is where we left off because you were like no oh, no the third one is where they tussle right yeah. the second one's yeah. where we left off last time because you're like I think we're gonna get a tussle between Kirk and <laughs> Taylor and I think right. it's gonna be great and it wasn't as awesome as it could have been but it was pretty awesome it was pretty cool yeah T- Taylor basically did a, a um. A, What's his name? A combination of Evil Kirk and Van Gelder through the through the right. prize for a while. I really wanted it to be more knocked down. I wanted it to be much more like the, the, the fight. fight. What, what's that? The Finnegan fight. The... Well, from yeah, from Kirk's perspective, I would have liked it to have been a more Finnegan fight. From Taylor's perspective, I would have had it be more like you know what originally inspired. In my mind, what inspired the whole idea of Star Trek Planet of the Apes anyway was when we were doing our commentary for Beneath the Planet of the Apes and we were watching Taylor and Brent fight. And we were like, Mm -hmm. damn, wouldn't this be cool if this was Taylor and Kirk? You know, and that's kind of to my mind, that was the germination of that idea. So I wanted the fight to look a little more like that, a little more bloodthirsty. But the way they get there in the comic wouldn't really... It wouldn't really justify that level of brutality. So, but, you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be a sequel in the future where the mutants will... What's that? Men can dream. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I guess there's just one more issue. Because I I really thought this was going to go for a while. Because it seems like it's got, you know, other places to go. But, you know, I finished issue four today and... uh, it says at the end, it says to be concluded. So yeah, I guess it's, it's just five issues. If but. it sells a lot, it could end up with a sequel. You know, I would love to see them. You know, depending on how it ends. You know, if it if it you know ends open ended to where there there could be because what I fear it's it's going to end and none of it ever happens. With some you know, reset, reset, yeah, yeah. You know, it'll involve time travel or yeah. something. But um, but I would love to see. You know, again, depending on how this series wraps up, if they could do a sequel. And have it happen just like it happens in Beneath. Have the mutants use their mental whammy to pit Taylor and Kirk against yeah. each other. Then you could truly get that, you know, that brute, you know, just brutality of a fight. <laughs> I would, I would love that. I, I think, I think that'd be awesome. But yeah, so far I'm, I'm really digging it. Um, there, there were a lot of nice little moments uh, in issues three and four. I, I really liked. Uh, the moment where, you know, McCoy kind of pawns Scotty off on Cornelius because I think he's just tired of talking to him. And Scotty <laughs> starts talking all about, you know, how time travel works and everything. And it was nice and they didn't draw a lot of attention to it. But it was, you know, what it got me to thinking of is that, you know, time travel is in Cornelius's future. 
you know, where right. we are in right. this story. And oh, I yeah. just thought that was really cool. You know, that's one of those unsolved mysteries of Planet of the Apes is how exactly did Cornelius and Zira and Dr. Milo like wind up? It's of, uh, of uh, transparent aluminum. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was a nice little moment. Well, the Star Trek comics that I have been loving lately, <laughs> and it's funny, uh, I guess... I can consider them comics, although I've noticed they haven't been showing up in comic book database, so I can't enter them in, are John Byrne's IDW New Visions Fumetti Star Treks. And there's six of them now, counting that annual one. Wow. Oh, he's putting it, he's churning them out regularly. He has got it down. I mean, there's there's five issues now, and, you know, issue issue five ends with a preview of issue six. It ends with a great... It, he must have made it before Leonard Nimoy passed away. But it, it's, it has a scene at the end with Spock during, you know, pre-Star Trek, the motion picture on Vulcan. And uh, he's, you know, there's, you know, he's drawn to a place and, uh, and it's called Memoriam. So I'm like, oh, he's going to do a quick memoriam to Leonard Nimoy. And he goes to the place that it's, um, T'Pring is there. And he has a, a conversation with T'Pring, and it's, um, dedicated to the actress who played T'Pring. I guess she died. Oh, yeah. Arthur yeah, I did Martel. hear about that. Yeah. So, uh, I'm wondering if there's going to be... The, the, the preview for the next one looks like it's got... Now, John Byrne, I'm pretty sure this is John Byrne. John Byrne's got, like, white hair and a white, like, goatee, right? Um, I mean, that's kind of what he looked. I mean, you know, he and uh, if you know what Chris Claremont looks like, he and Chris Claremont look a lot alike these days. I he, think he looks like your random, like sort of white old guy. You know, <laughs> right? White beard, white hair, right? Just kind of medium build. Yeah. It just it, it it's it's just like, but it, you can tell it's an, it's not anybody that he took from the TV show. Oh, it's a character in the... He put himself into the book? Yeah. I mean, he... I haven't seen him do that in a long time in one of his books, but he used he to does do that, that quite a bit in, you know, in, in his olden days. <laughs> in his golden days. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes you're just going to have to add a character into these. But, I, you know... Because remember, like, at the at the trial of Reed Richards, um, somebody, I think it's the Watcher, comes and gets him. So that he can go there and actually witness it firsthand to draw it for the Marvel comic. Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. I know there's other instances too, but off the top of my head, I'm blanking on what they were. But, um, man, these are, I mean, he's writing the stories, so there you go with that. And uh, the Photoshop work is really impressive, you know. Right. It's just, he's, there's... And there's new care, you know, he's got a, like robot and alien characters and, and stuff like that. But it's and it's it's also very John Byrne where he works. Every one of them is sort of based on an old um, for the most part. The, the second one is sort of its own story, more or less. The first one is the mirror, you know, concerns the mirror universe. Right. The third one is sort of a sequel to the Doomsday Machine. The fourth one. It's called Made Out of Mud. And everybody knows what mud spelled backwards is. But <laughs> it, for it's probably the best Harry Mud story 
yet, which is not, which is, you know, not the <laughs> highest praise anyway, but it's readable. <laughs> and then the last one is my favorite one so far. And, uh, it, it has a crossover with number one, uh, Miguel Barrett. It's, it's sort of a half flashback story of, um, you know, Pike's Enterprise discovering this one spaceship and then the Enterprise running into another little conundrum. But num- they are transporting number one from one place to another, you know, so she's on the Enterprise again. If and, these are all done as fumetis, that's got to be tough. Cause... Oh, my. And they're, they're not short either. They, these, they, they're expensive. They're eight bucks. They're seven ninety nine a piece. But they're... You know, full for each one of them is forty-eight pages long, and it's, you know, it's pretty dense story-wise. The last one, you know, took me two sittings to sit down and read it. You know, um, nice and carefully. So yeah, it's a it's dense. There's a lot of work in it. I'm wondering if maybe he's found a groove in this Photoshop work that's maybe faster than writing and he's just enjoying the novelty of it or something. But he's churning these suckers out, you know? Hmm. I wish they weren't eight bucks a piece, but, you know. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that. I have not read one of them yet, but, uh, you know, just based on your recommendation, it sounds like something that uh, I need to be checking into. I don't like him as much as his his straight-up comic work. Right, they're 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 a little more of a novelty, but right. as a novelty, they're great. And I love Fumetti's as a form anyway, and photo novels and stuff like that. Yeah, this this is it's somewhere between Fumetti comic like. It's definitely you can tell John Byrne designed the layout and stuff like that, but it's also got a little feel of the photo novel to it too. So I I I'm really enjoying them. I'm surprised that they, like, I'm surprised that when I went to my LCS, they had a whole sta- stacks of them all over the place, so. Hmm. I, I thought, usually Fumetti sort of stuff, like, leaps off the shelf, though. I know old Fumetti comics go for big money on on the eBay. Right. So, people love that shit. <laughs> I wonder what how they're selling. I mean, I hope they're doing well. I, I guess if it he's done be. eight of them, they must be doing pretty well at eight bucks a piece. Did you say there were eight of them? There's five of well, there's oh, six counting the annual. Six of them, but they're on you know they're on glossy like photo you know magazine paper. They're they're right. got, they're kind of square. They're not as big as a trade, but they're square bound like a trade. And they're being those, put out through IDW, right? Yeah, and you know they have that sort of nice little crease along the spine. You know what I'm saying? That some of those square ones do. Right. So when you open the cover, it's it it opens on the crease rather than you know creasing the cover. It's nice. Hmm. No ads, um, and you know he focuses on fun stuff too. So you know he he knows the episodes. You know, I mean, the Mirror Universe had lots of great photos to to work with and stuff like that. I'm I'm digging them. I'm really surprised that like. John Byrne just sort of is existing under the radar and doing awesome stuff, you know? Right. It's just, it's just so weird because when, you know, when I first heard of John, John Byrne was like the hot 
item when we were kids. Right. Yeah. It was like anything that John Byrne, everybody was interested in it and stuff. And now it's just like, yeah, there's only a few people left who are still interested, but, um, we're being rewarded. Maybe it's because I didn't, uh, pay attention to where supposedly he was going downhill or not taking as much time or didn't have his heart in it or whatever, but, uh, his heart's definitely in the Star Trek work. That's yeah. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's how I felt about the stuff that he was writing and drawing when he first started doing Star Trek for IDW is that, okay, this is the burn I remember, you know, he, he definitely has his heart in this where, you know, there was stuff uh, in that interim period between Superman and, and Star Trek where there, he had done some stuff that I thought, man, nah, he's just collecting a paycheck. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's nice to see the old John Byrne back again because guy's got chops. I'm, I'm happy to see him back in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> but that's Absolutely. about it I got for my uh, my Star Trek comics. I had an opportunity to get a Star Trek comic recently, and I should have done it. I'm just, uh, I'm just a big dumbass, because I I went on a, a quest recently. Uh, took my boy Logan with me, and uh, we went to several stores in the area that are all part of the um, Coliseum of Comics chain. And uh, time permitting, you'll be hearing all about this in the next Comics Monthly Monday. So I, I don't want to bore you with the details, but essentially. Uh, I chanced across a really nice copy of Marvel Star Trek, yeah, Marvel Star Trek number three, you know, the the series that started with the adaptation of the motion picture picture. and then ran for 18 issues. Now, you know, you and I don't think much of that series because honestly, it was pretty crap. But uh, the only issues of that series that I lack is the actual adaptation of the motion picture. I don't have, I, I think it was just three issues. I don't have all three issues. I, I know I have a number one, and then I know I have the entire series from when the first post-movie issue starts all the way to the end of the series, but I don't have one, two, and three. I, I'm not sure if I have a number two or not. Anyway, um, was digging through some 50-cent and dollar boxes at all these stores, chanced across a really nice copy of number three. And it was this really nice shot of the Enterprise. And I'm not sure who the cover artist was, but I'm pretty sure the inker was Tom Palmer. So it was a really nice shot of the movie Enterprise, like flying towards you, the reader. And it was only a dollar, and I passed it up. I really wish I'd gotten it now. But at the time, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, who knows what kind of other great stuff I'll chance across. If it was 50 cents, you know, I'd get it, but it's a dollar, so I'm going to put it back. And then afterwards, I was like, crap, why did I do that? I should have just gone ahead and picked it up because I really like the cover on it, you know. Well, I think mostly I get to talk about it on start. Yeah, this is true. (laughs) So if I ever do that again anytime soon and it's it's there the second time around, then it's meant to be. I'm going to scarf it up. Mm. But, uh, but yeah. But that was, uh, that's pretty much all i had i have you know i have not gotten anything new for for star trek in some time now which which makes me sad but uh you know still uh still digging my old episodes and everything and hopefully it's coming up so i'm i'm hopeful <laughs> there you oh, go I recently what do you got i recently got uh it should be more for the next episode but i did get a uh star trek uh starfleet academy t-shirt Oh, cool. Uh, from a used clothing store across from where I work. Huh. So that's pretty cool. 
It's a gray. I, I'm usually not into light color T-shirts. It's a gray T-shirt, but that's okay. I'll, I'll take it. It's 90s, next generation era Starfleet Academy. You know, that reminds me. This is a good place to plug. Um, I just, you know, this tells you how crazy I am. So I came home last night. And quick peek behind the curtain. I mean, I've been crazy, crazy busy at work. My my schedule's been all over the place. It's like one day I'm I'm going in crazy early in the morning, and the next day I'm you know I'm going in you know late in the afternoon and staying until crazy late in the morning. It's just, and my schedule's just been all over the place. So I had Star Wars. See, I was about to call it Star Wars Monthly Monday. Growing up, Star Wars. I had the next episode of Growing Up Star Wars. I had that done. You know like almost a week ago. You know, I had it, I had it done way in advance of when the episode needed to get posted and everything. But because of my schedule, I just, I couldn't find a time to sit down and, and create the copy for it and get it posted and everything. It just, you know, I, I just couldn't find that extra time. So it wasn't until coming home from work last night, which was actually Monday night, the night, you know, the, the night of the day it was due up. And it's like 1130 at night. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to hurry up and get this thing posted before it hits midnight, you know, because I'm determined to hit these things on the date, you know. So I'm getting the episode posted. And as I'm posting it up, I pulled up the Two True Freaks website and I'm looking and I'm, I'm noticing all the new shows that have hit the network. And there was a new episode of Palace of Glittering Delights. And it was the one that. I, I had heard about and I was really tempted to kind of weasel my way into. And then I thought, nah, you know, they created the whole thing and, and they've already got the, you know, the, the host set and everything and they didn't invite me. And I'm not just going to, and we cover them all one by it. one too. So. Well, this is true. So I, but I had been looking forward to it cause I knew that it existed. I was just waiting for it to get posted. And what it is, is it, it's the, the latest episode, you know, at least the latest episode as we're recording this is, let me think who all was on it. It was Andy, Sean Angle, Paul Spataro, and Bill Robinson were all talking about the odd-numbered Star Trek films. And I was really looking forward to this one. So anyway, I, I see it's up there, and I'm, you know, as I'm working and I'm, I'm typing up the copy for the episode that I'm posting, and then I'm waiting for the post, and then I wanted to pimp it a little bit on Facebook. All these things are happening. I thought, well, what the hell, I'll, I'll pop it on and I'll listen to the beginning of it. And it's late, and I'm exhausted. You know, I mean, my schedule's been all screwed up, and I just uh, I know I need where to get this to is bed. going. <laughs> so I start the thing, and sure enough, an hour and forty five minutes later, I have listened to the entire episode. I was so engrossed in it; it was really, really good. So I didn't get to bed last night until yeah, it was like two something. But such a good listen. I mean, it, it was a really solid episode. So. The moral of the story is, you know, if you want some more uh, great Trek discussion, then uh, listen to that episode. Again, the name of the show is uh, Palace of Glittering Delights that uh, Andy Leyland puts out. It's a really solid show, but that episode, I thought, was especially awesome. I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, I I'll just I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler in the fact that I was especially delighted that, of course, you know, if you're talking about odd-numbered treks, then, of course, it's going to start off with Star Trek The Motion Picture. Exactly. I was really curious what the guys were going to say. You know, it's a panel of four, and I didn't know what opinions would be out there and everything and what, what all would be said about The Motion Picture, and I was really pleased with the discussion they had uh, on that particular one. And overall, I was, I was pretty happy with, uh, you know, with, with how the discussion went here and there and everywhere. Even the ones that I thought that they might have been a little bit harsh on, 
I couldn't necessarily argue with the criticisms that right, they, right. You know, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. A really solid episode. My my only regret was that I I wasn't on it. So, <laughs> but I know that they want to do a sequel at some point and do the uh, the uh, even numbered ones. So maybe I'll be ma- be able to worm my way into that one at some point because uh, yeah, I think that could be a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Well, I think we're about ready to go into the all main, right main course. The meat of the episode. All right. So for this one, we are looking at the classic first season episode, Shore Leave. Captain's log, stardate 3025.8. A planet which seems to be paradise is chosen for a shore leave. But things of fantasy, which are undeniably real, suddenly appear. Sulu! Enjoy yourself, Captain. It's an interesting planet. I believe you'll find it quite pleasant. You'll have no problems. I swear I heard someone moving around. Don't talk like that. (laughs) Well, I am on shore leave. And so am I. (laughs) How's this? (laughs) All right, Jimmy boy. All right, Shore Leave first aired on December 29th, 1966. And, you know, I can't believe we've gotten this far into the show, Chris. You know, how, how long have we been doing Star Trek Monthly Monday now? It's got to be what? It's going on six years. A, well, we're up to, I believe, this is 70. This month, yeah. They're all number 70s. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's almost six years. Wow. So it's taken us all this time for me to notice. You know, I, I think a lot of it is because we don't usually give out, you know, with TOS episodes, the air date. I just happened to note it with this one when the actual air date was. So the air date is basically the tail end of December. It says here, at least according to the Star Trek compendium, that it was filmed in late October. So it was filmed in late October, aired in late December. Man, that's amazing, you know. I mean, that's a that's a fast turnaround. That's what they had. I, I've just read a couple, you know, a couple. Of the, I've read the the Bob Justman book, and uh, then I read a more, um, you know, earlier, um, more promo sort of book than an insider sort of book. But yeah, the I mean, the the. The process of putting out a Star Trek episode was grueling because it had to be done quickly and, you know, on time. <laughs> That's it's just it blows me away. Now, I don't know how long I thought that it took. I mean, if somebody had asked me yesterday, you know, how long did it take them between the time that they would film an episode of Star Trek and when it actually hit the air? I don't know what my guess would have been, but it wouldn't have been two months. Well, this uh, one at least didn't have an awful lot of special effects, and a lot of true. the costumes probably came right out of you know right out of storage, you know, right. ni- knights and damsels and samurai. Well, I, was, I was reading somewhere footage. that the the white rabbit came from the ice capades. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was reading somewhere. I, I'm surprised in the um, special editionness of it. They did well. I'm glad they didn't, but. 
they, they probably really should have made it into a realistic looking giant rabbit, you know? Right, yeah. Because otherwise, I, I wondered why McCoy wasn't going like, and then a guy in a rabbit suit showed up. Right. <laughs> but I'm getting yeah, ahead. I think that. I think that definitely would have been much more uh, believable because, yeah, ever since <laughs> right. I was a kid, I always thought the rabbit was pretty crap. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it looks it like a guy in know, a rabbit suit. Yeah. Well, yeah, it looks like a like a, you know, like a theme park character or something. Yes. So, yeah. All right. Synopsis for this one. This is out of the Star Trek compendium by Alan Asherman. It reads as such. Captain Kirk decides to stop at an inviting Earth-like planet. Yeah, they're all Earth-like planets. To give his men a well-deserved shore leave. The women have to stay on the ship. The planet proves to be just what the doctor did not order for relaxation. Strange things happen, beginning with McCoy's sighting a giant white rabbit being chased by an Alice-like little... Wait, an Alice-like little girl. It is Alice! That's... That's just odd. Sulu is menaced Alice by a samurai. Huh? Alice esque. <laughs> Alice esque. <laughs> Sulu is menaced by a samurai warrior. Other crewmen are strafed by aircraft, chased by tigers, and menaced by swordsmen. Kirk meets Finnegan, an old enemy from his academy days, followed by Ruth, an ex lover. McCoy is quote unquote killed by a black knight on horseback. As the perils become progressively deadlier, Spock and Kirk realize that their thoughts are being brought to life. A kindly old man appears, identifying himself as the caretaker, and explains that the entire planet is an amusement park, where advanced alien technologies synthesize the entertainment from the minds of the vacationers. McCoy appears alive and well, escorted by two Rigel Cabaret girls. Kirk decides that, with the proper mental precautions, this can be a good shoreleaf planet after all. You know, that's not a bad little synopsis. Sometimes these synopses are, are very hit and miss, but that one, eh, that one's not too bad. He didn't bring up Ruth, did he? Yeah. He did? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah uh, Kirk meets Finnegan, an old uh, enemy from his Academy days, followed by Ruth, an ex-lover. Yeah. Okay. Okay, because that's really, at the end, they should have mentioned that that was really the reason Kirk stayed <laughs> for a day or two. What was funny was... For 45 uh, seconds or so. We watched this over dinner the other night, and I don't know if my if my wife had ever seen it before, but it got to the very end of it, and uh, the scene where Kirk's like, yeah, I think I'm going to head back up. Oh, wait, yeah, here comes Ruth. And my wife just has that, you know, that that slow head turn, you know, looking at you out of the corner. Right? She's just like, is uh, Kirk going to get some? I was like, I, I guess so. I didn't so. <laughs> Come on. I mean, that's the entire. Yeah, of course. She's he like, is. she's like, but he's but she's a robot. I'm like, it, it, it's Kirk. Yeah. You know, he, he Kirk, doesn't, it's yeah. Kirk. It's Kirk. What do you mean? It's Kirk. OK, I'm not going <laughs> to name any names. But just high school crush of your, you know, of your choice shows up on a planet. You're single Kirk or single Scott or single right. Chris. And, and, and all of a sudden your high school crush shows up like, boop, right out of time. And it's like, hi there. I'm right. a robot, but right. I'm a robot simulation. I will even drop names. Come on. Heidi Roar, dude. Robot Heidi Roar. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be all I'd exactly. be all on that. I'd be all on that. 
So yeah, you know, I, I, I will cut Kirk some slack now that you put it that way. Yes. That would be Shore Leave Planet. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, who cares in the future that Wesley Crusher screwed up Planet of the Porno actors? Who needs that place? You go to this place, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny is... Well, do they? For one thing, do they ever give this planet a name? I, I failed to note I whether so. they name the planet or not. But do they ever mention this place again? You know, because you would think that. You know, because like in Next Gen, there's a, a planet. I'm trying to remember what the hell the name of the planet is, and I've just blanked. But they they have the basically the 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 pleasure vacation planet. You know, we're we're gonna see an episode eventually where Kirk or not Kirk Picard goes on vacation, Captain's holiday. And he goes there, and it, I can't wait till we get to this episode because it's basically like, you know, Riker's all excited, like, dude, you are so gonna get some, you know, so much ass while you're there. Oh, you're gonna get a captain's and, holiday, all right? Yeah, and and he goes there, and what does he do? He reads a book, and it's like this is why Picard just, yeah, you know. But I'm thinking, you know, how did that planet become the the big thing when you've got this planet out there? Right. So I can only imagine that something must go screwy at some point it between must go the West two. World at some point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that would now, have been a good episode. There, there is um, an animated episode that I don't remember. That I think they must go back to that planet. But do, do you know the one? No. Uh, once uh, it's Once Upon a Planet. Is it the same one? I don't know. We're gonna have to check this out at some point. Oh, it's it's gonna happen soon enough. Yeah, I'm looking at it real quick here on uh, on Memory Alpha, and it's it's mentioning it. But I I seriously do not remember this episode, so I'm not sure that I. Well, no, I must have seen it because when they when they came out on DVD, I bought them. So I must. Well, have that's seen the thing it, about so. that's the thing about them. The ones that are not memorable are truly just all blend together. And the right. ones that are memorable stand out. Well, you know it's an alien planet because and, and here's another thing about Quick Turnaround is they got the, this one was mostly shot on the bridge set and out in a field. <laughs> mm-hmm. in the back lots, you know. Throw throw some wind chimes over it and you've got like an alien planet. Now maybe it was because we were always watching it on a crappy little black and white set up in my room, you know, but it wasn't really until this viewing that I really heavily noticed the the like wind chime sound effect that's yeah. ever present in the background and I just kept waiting for somebody to like stop and you know like be in like mid sentence and then just suddenly stop and go like what the hell is that and just reach yeah. or the camera pans over off screen and someone just grabs the wind chimes and yanks them down out of the trees <laughs> driving me nuts all day right yeah, it is. It's funny. No, it's, that was one of the ways with not much budget to make your planet a little alien, you know? Right. Well, they also, they spray painted a bunch of the uh, the trees and plants and stuff, too, which I'm sure, you know, back in the, you know, back in the 60s or even like when we were kids watching it again, you know, on, on crappy, you know, TV tubes. I, I, I can't remember exactly what it looked like, but now, you know, you get these... And, you know, they're they're in HD and everything. So you can see, like, every detail of everything. And it's so obvious 
that it's just <laughs> spray painted with a can of Krylon, you know, and it, it just looks really Kirk. I noticed had some weird makeup thing going on where he had this this weird black. It was almost like a part of his eyebrow was filled in like with a like an eyeliner or something. It was really weird. Maybe he had a shaving accident or something. Yeah, that's that's almost what it looked like. It was really weird. It, it kind of looked like uh, some of his hair was was uh, like badly colored in as well. You know, it's little Maybe things he like that. Scraped that... some of his uh, eyebrow off when he was falling over, running around the back <laughs> lot so much. Could be, especially the way he runs. That that run is just like he's just waiting to get tripped. <laughs> He's just got that weird way, like, keeping his back straight, but, like, right. pumping his arms. It's just the way you go, by some hidden, you know. I love this episode, though. I oh, really my God. That. I love this one for so many reasons. There's I mean, so much wonkiness, like, where they're like, oh, this planet's uninhabited, no signs of life. Meanwhile, there's a log right by the lake that's been sawn off at the end. <laughs> you know, in place I, there. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Oh, they, they're right. like they're like putting their feet up on it and stuff and talking. You know. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> even think about that. No sign well, of life here, and it's like national park style log. You know, place there. I noticed that not long after somebody. It, it's not the first time they say it. It's it's like the second or third time they say. Uh, I, I think it's actually the scene where where somebody maybe Kirk says are you sure that we you know sensors didn't pick up any life forms and they're like, no sir captain no we did a thorough so no there's no life and you can see this like moth or fly or something buzzing <laughs> around i think it's like borrows head and i just have to laugh because i don't know that you would have noticed it on 60s tv you know but you know again with it being hd and right. everything today i mean you see things like that you know you can't avoid there them. was no pixel small enough in an old tv to pick up that right one. <laughs> well, I remember when uh, when these first started coming out on VHS that uh, that people were remarking on uh, the the episode that definitely comes to mind was um, oh, the one with uh, oh where the girl goes crazy. Um, you've got uh, oh, damn it, I can't the think of that. Darth Conscience Bizarre? of the King. Con- con- no, no, no. Conscience of the King. That's the one. Oh, Conscience okay. Of the King, which is a crappy episode, in my opinion. But in Conscience of the King, uh, there's a point where they're they're in his court in the I can't remember the the killer guy's name. You know, basically Space Hitler. Um, they're in his quarters, and there's like insects buzzing all over the place. And I can remember somebody being like, "Yeah, you know, it's I don't know, you know, what's going on with it. I never noticed that." But it's like, yeah, because you know they were they were cleaner than you know the prints that we saw you know back on. You know, CKWS and what when we were kids. So, yeah, this this episode kind of had some of that going on, too. Yeah, I, some of it worked to its advantage because the, the rubber-faced uh, knight was pretty weird-looking. Yeah. And when he put when he sat there and was, like, pressing on his skin, it totally looked like vinyl, weird, spongy plastic. It was... That, that was a good effect. It makes mm-hmm. me wonder why Ruth didn't look like that. Right. Maybe because the night was just made very hurriedly and didn't have to be as realistic. That was always my impression was that he he looked different because 
you were never really intended to see his face. Right, right. You know, it was just it was supposed to be the you know the the armor was the thing. Yeah, you just needed to you at the most you'd see like his eyes under the hood a little bit as he flew by. You know that Although, does beg the question though that if these things are are manufactured, you know, because they never come right out and say that they're machines or that they're robots or anything. But I guess you know from when I was a kid that's that was always what I thought was, well, they're saying, you know, Mr. Spock's saying they're manufactured, so immediately the mind draws up robots. So I was going to say, you know, if they're just robots, then why does the knight, you know, when Kirk shoots him, why does he fall off the horse? But maybe they are more uh, almost like a, you know, like a synthesoid or something like that where they are kind of alive. Right. I don't know. Does that follow? Does that make or any maybe, sense? Or maybe they're programmed to react to things like that gun was something manufactured on the planet. Oh, that's true. And yeah. left on the planet. So it was in the matrix of things that, have, you know, whereas their phasers don't work. Which is funny because even before they know their phasers don't work, they got the tiger stuck in Esteban and that woman who we never find out about. She apparently gets shot when they, when the, um, plane does its strafing run but when that tiger she runs has, into the tree and knocks herself out is that what happened she knocks yeah. herself out in the tree yeah it's never really cl- made all that clear but yeah that that's what happens is she and uh, esteban are running and he cuts you know he cuts right and she just like smacks right into that tree and knocks her ass out now she is supposed to be the same character from balance of terror Remember at the beginning of Balance of Terror, Kirk is officiating at a wedding? Oh, right. And then the groom gets killed. Yeah, it's not the same actress at all. No, 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 it is. No, it, it, is? it is the same one. And what it was was they cast her for this episode, and she was named something different. And so they cast her for this episode, and then at some point somebody realized, hey, she's been on Star Trek before. So then they just switched her to being that same character that she played in Balance of Terror. Oh, okay. But because this one was... There I remember was being more baby-faced in that. Well, I was going to say that was a while ago, but you know, for us it was a while ago on covering it on the show. But yeah, it wouldn't have been that many episodes back from this because it's no. all the same season. Yeah, you're right, but she does look a bit different. But what's really funny, though, is that apparently there were some script problems with this episode. So there was a lot of, like, changes on the fly kind of thing. So Kirk actually addresses her at some point in the episode by the name in the original script, even though she's credited at the end of the episode as being the character from Balance of Terror. So it's, it's you know, just a weird little continuity was, issue. Was this a DC Fontana episode? No, this is a Theodore Sturgeon. Theodore Sturgeon. I knew somebody with a, you know, one of the distinctive writers wrote this. Yeah. Okay. This has a very pulp, like a, a fanciful, funny story from like a pulp magazine, science fiction magazine from the 50s feel to it well apparently that was roddenberry's issue with it was that he thought it was too you know as originally written by sturgeon uh was too fancy you know too fanciful too fantastic and i mean i reading between the lines he was probably thinking you know you know budgetarily you know how how right. could they bring all this stuff to the screen so right. that's why there were a lot of changes and edits and things like that but you know what's funny is that 
now that we've had such a big deal be made of, say, um, Harrison Ellenshaw's uh, City on the Edge of Forever, you know, wouldn't it be Harlan Ellison, you mean? Or Harlan Ellison. I knew I didn't have that name right. Harlan Ellison, rather. Uh, you've had his City on the Edge of Forever you know, brought to realization, you know, the, the actual one that he wrote versus the episode that actually appeared. It'd be interesting to go to some of these other episodes like this one where there was yeah. supposedly a big departure between what was written and then what, you know, eventually made it to the screen. I'd be, I'd be curious to check that out. Although it's funny I say that because I've never really had any interest to check out the, uh, you know, the original <laughs> City on the Edge of Forever. I, I just, you know, I love your episode. I read the script Stan for so it. Um, Mike Poteet sent me, I, I believe it was Mike Poteet sent me the, um, book that mm-hmm. had, that was the original script and, you know, Harlan Ellison ranting and raving about the process of, of what happened. Right. Now, a couple of things I've always really liked about this. Well, for one thing, as we were saying before, you know, Kirk's at his most physical in this one you know he, yeah. he runs he jumps and you know that that fight with him and finnegan is just fantastic i i you know i love a good bare knuckle knockdown drag you know drag out fight as much as anybody else but this one's fantastic uh, this might be the longest star trek kirk fight the side of um um oh what what is it the um um naked time <laughs> you know this uh, th- there's a commercial break in between this fight. I think there's actually two two sections where you they mean actually. You a mock time up... where he and Spock fight? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, a mock time. Yes, a mock time. Because I was like, when the hell is there a fight in naked time? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you're right. Now, yeah, I do think this one's a lot longer because I'm well. Plus, it goes in in stages. You know, they have a yeah. little tussle at one point, and then they have you know a much more full blown fight there at the end. But what I love about this fight is it. It, it feels realistic. I mean, you know, the the blows really look like they're connecting, and at the end of the fight, they're exhausted. I mean, they are both just whipped because there's a point where it's very they, they live like. Yeah, it is. It is very much so. But I mean, there's a point where they both are struggling to rise again. And I caught something this time around that I don't think I ever realized as a kid is. Does Finnegan kick Kirk in the balls? Is that what knocks it Kirk look, out? It looks like it. That would knock him out. Because, <laughs> you know, they, they had to film it in such a way that it's not obvious what he does. But watching it again, I'm like, I I think what they're implying here yeah, you know, yeah. in, that, in that 60s censorship kind of way is that he nailed him right in the boys. <laughs> oh, he was using all the, I mean, he starts out the fight by just not sucker punching him, but like sucker leaping from where he is onto right. him throws dirt in his face <laughs> you know does the does the um cry wolf play possum trick right. oh, i can't feel my legs my <laughs> legs jimmy <laughs> I, I i forgot how cheesy and awesome that um shot going into commercial of him going sleep jimmy <laughs> sleep forever <laughs> And ever. <laughs> I wish so bad that Randy would have joined us for this one. I, I don't know, know this where is, that This is actually tonight, the missing but... people episode because yeah. Randy should have been here for this. This is the one that we originally planned to have 
oh, what's his face? Elvis impersonator. Yeah. Um, New James Voyage. Colley. Yeah, yeah, James Colley. Was, this is his favorite episode. Um, but yeah, Randy, I mean, he just loved this episode. And a <laughs> lot of it was because I can remember when we would watch this one as a kid. He always used to remark how Kirk was essentially fighting Lucky from Lucky Charms, you know, because <laughs> right. Finnegan had that cheesy, you know, frosted Lucky Charms. Well, not only did and, and he was just... like basically jumping up and clicking his heels, right? And on top of that, and it's funny because now that I, now that I've like actually like been in a goofy country band and done some Irish songs. I realize well the music is to- has that t- to- it's like yeah. an Irish jig but it's got little versions of little parts of that remind me of the cockles and mussels alive alive o song but it's like yeah it's this perfect like storm of Irish stereotype the only thing that it, that <laughs> he does it is he's not wearing green and he isn't drunk and he doesn't have a little green cap on you know right or a shillelagh or something like that he's not like eating a corned beef sandwich or anything like that but it's you know I mean <laughs> but then again he's like the rep you know he's not supposed to really be Finnegan he's the rep the, the you know he represents what's in Kirk's mind right of Finnegan <laughs> Which is no. which is funny because it, I I I want I haven't watched this in a long time, right? And there were two things that I noticed that I never noticed when I was a kid, and one is I never thought that McCoy really died. You know? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. I always thought that he was like somehow they had made a replicant McCoy to just drag off as part of the whole charade. But in this one, no, he actually gets speared and then they fix him. He's very cheery about it. I'd be mad. I'd be just like, yeah, this is a great planet. But you know what? It sucks to get a pike put through, you know. Uh, yeah, That's come on. That's the thing that is kind of glossed over in this episode because. Dies um, horribly. You know, I, I, apparently, unlike you, I, I, you know, ever since I was a kid, I understood that he died. But. With this, again, with the HD and everything, now you can see it, when they come back from commercial and DeForest Kelly's laying there on the ground, you can see a big red splotch dead center in his chest. So yeah. they're making it obvious that, no, he was impaled. He is dead. And that is so glossed over in this show. Now, granted, they only have, you know, 50 minutes to tell the story and there's right. so many other things going on. But that's one of the the few qualms I really have with this episode is that you had this great opportunity to really explore that and nothing. I mean, as you say, he comes back, you know, walking, you know, sauntering in at the end of the episode with those two babes on his arm. And he's like, hey, I'm fine, Jimmy boy, I'll be all right. And I'm like, no, dude. I mean, at the very least, you know, it would have been nice of him to go. Yeah, you know, I'm back, but you know, that hurt like a bitch, you know. Yeah. I mean he got he got run through by the night. Although, yeah, but he does have a he does have a Playboy bunny on each arm, so Right. Well that that's always bugged me in again in that in that continuity nitpicker thing because there's a great exchange between Kirk and Spock in Star Trek Four, where they're they're on the Klingon ship. And McCoy goes over to to Spock and he's trying to talk to him about, you know, having just recently come back from the dead. 
And Spock says whatever he he says, and he basically blows McCoy off. And McCoy says, "Wait, wait, wait! I have to. You're you're essentially saying I have to die to be able to have a common ground to discuss death with you." And ever since I was a kid watching that movie for the first, I was like, "He has been dead." At one time right. or another, most everybody in the in the core seven of Star Trek has died and come back. You know, because Scotty got killed in, what was it, in Nomad. Um, you know, McCoy here. I mean, if I thought about it long enough, I could name them all. But at one point or another, most of them have died and come back. So that always bugged me that... Yeah, Spock just... was a latecomer to the game. <laughs> it's just kind of sloughed off, you know? So, Well, another thing about Spock is I noticed this time that they did not bring Spock down, you know, in the first two acts. And I was like, yeah, why are they leaving Spock on the on the bridge of the Enterprise? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because he would figure out what's going on way too quickly. Right. <laughs> and uh, although Kirk was being a little dumb, Kirk was a little too entranced by Ruth and Finnegan to, you know, he was he was getting into it too much, you know, I mean. The Kirk, even of this show, you, you know, that we know and love was very, uh, um, you know, he's married to a ship. So he's, he's, right. he's, he is driven by emotion, but he still has his analytical side, like Spock and his side of, you know, Hey, wait a minute. And he sort of, he abandoned that a little easily in this episode, which right. I can forgive because he sort of had to, to make the episode so fun. <laughs> you know, instead of, I would have been questioning Finnegan a lot harder. I would have been questioning how Finnegan showed up just after I was thinking about him, you know, talking about him. Right. Randomly in the, you know, in space. It's not like he was even in the city that Finnegan lives in. I mean, you, you get a Ireland. little bit of that, and I guess you could chalk up some of it to just pure shock. But yeah, I always wondered about that, too. You never really get that. You know, Kirk having that moment of going, wait a minute, how the hell can you be here right now? The only other thing I've really got on this is uh, two quick things. I, I like the caretaker. I couldn't tell you why exactly, but he always reminded me of Mentor from yes. Shazam. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he reminded uh, me he had a little bit of Mentor plus. Remember the was he the uncle from Shazam family? Uncle Dudley. Yeah, he has a little <laughs> yeah. Uncle Dudley to him. <laughs> a, little, a little bit. He and, has that sort uh, of like, you know, Campbell's soup kid look to his face. And I'm thinking that uh, Emily Banks that plays uh, Yeoman Barrows, which, which, you know, it's funny. I never really realized this before that Barrows, even though we only see her in this one episode, she's kind of the replacement of... Rand and right. I never really put that together before. It was watching this episode again, and that there's that opening scene on the bridge where she's you know rubbing Kirk's back and everything, and then yeah, let's later... talk about that. What's up with that? Oh, Is sheesh. this where all the Kirk and Spock gay stuff got started? Because Kirk thinks it's Spock. <laughs> It's, that whole scene is so weird because Kirk yeah. thinks it's Spock and he's like, yeah, dig it in there really good, Mr. Spock. Then when he sees it's not Mr. Spock but the hot yeoman, he's just like, oh, never mind. 
<laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, and then it's just sloth. It's sloughed off, and Spock does it like purposely, like walks forward to just right, be like, so Kirk can see that it's not him. Yeah, Spock's being a total prick in this whole episode. It's funny. He's being a total <laughs> smartass the whole time through. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. I think he's got it figured out pretty quickly, and he just waits for these dumbass humans to catch up with yeah, him. Yeah, he enjoys watching him uh, wriggle around <laughs> a little bit. Great. It has to be. It has to be said though that uh, Emily Banks is smoking. Yeah, smoking hot. I think it comes down to you know just uh, purely off the top of my head. I think it comes down to a serious tussle between her and I don't know the actress's name, but she was Helen in Dagger the Mind. Remember that hot brunette that, that Kirk right goes to the planet with. Um, I think it comes down to the two of them as, you know, serious contenders for hottest woman on classic Star Trek because they're both they're both gorgeous in their own way. But uh, I don't know. I might I might have to give the nod to uh, to Barrows. I think I just think she's gorgeous. What's funny was uh, I uh, wiki stalked her today just to kind of see, you know, what, what else has she done? Was she still alive? That sort of thing. She's. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, she's still alive and kicking everything, but she's like my grandmother's age. <laughs> she's, you know, damn near 90. I was like, wow, you know, it's just, it's it's funny to think, you know. That's how it goes, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, uh, just a little side note is I, I was looking through a local paper and Bernadette Peters is playing here. Mm-hmm. And they have a full page picture of her face and she looks exactly like she does in the jerk. And I'm like, they have to be painting she's got to be like <laughs> 70 years old right you know not not an age spot anything i'm like i wonder if this picture is like 20 years old and that's the one she's still it's yeah i mean they're all uh, everybody from that generation you know um my my she's big 67 wow she looks good for 67 well my that's... last note on this is i think the music in this one is great Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, when we were kids, our favorite thing was the the Finnegan. You know, the Finnegan music just cued. <laughs> I like the fight music in this one. The fight music is great. There's a great little cut at the beginning that has a little variation on the Star Trek theme. That's that's a little different. It almost right. reminds me a little of the animated one where they do it. You know, a little yeah. off note. You know. Well, when Kirk's trucking across that field, there's a great little piece of Star Trek music that plays as well. What's funny is I've I've got two different um, cuts of this. I've got uh, a bootleg that I've had for a long time that somebody created. God, this is going back quite a quite a while now. Maybe it was like off surround sound or something. Yeah, and and they yeah they they when when they first when these episodes first started coming out on DVD. Somebody went through and like meticulously recreated the soundtracks of the episodes that are um, mostly original music. Because not every episode is original music. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them later on in the series that uh, just recycled music from other episodes. So those episodes didn't get um, this treatment. But the ones that have original scores, this guy went through and just recreated the scores and where the scores had been released then he uses those tracks but if there were pieces in the episode that weren't ever released then he pulls them off of the surround speakers um, off the DVD mix and they're 
for bootlegs, for that kind of bootleg that usually irritates me when it's got sound effects in it and stuff, for that kind of a bootleg, it's actually really good. It's it's good. Sometimes, because I noticed that the music track doesn't have a lot of sound. It has sometimes it'll have some bridge sound effects in it. Right. It mostly just has reverb sound effects. Right. So you don't hear something. You're hearing the echo of something very lightly. It's weird. So after watching this episode the other day, I uh, I pulled out that soundtrack and I pulled out just the the tracks of the recent La La Land edition release of Star Trek the series. And I listened to them side by side and the bootleg actually is better. It uh-huh. has a lot more music than the official release through La La Land. Now, I'm not sure if that's because some of the tracks are actually from other episodes or not, but I thought that this episode was pretty much all it, original music. It sounded pretty original yeah. the, all the way through. But yeah, I know what you mean. I, I love the music for this episode. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, you, you think of Star Trek fight music and most people are always like, you know, dun, 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 dun. But this one, I, I really like the fight music in this one too. And when I hear this, you know, it, it always, you know, it always brings to mind what's going on. It's a Kirk fight. So I, I think this one to me is just as synonymous with fighting as the other one is, but the other one's the one that you always hear when, you know, somebody makes a parody of Star Trek well, or, or well, you know. And when we were kids, I mean it was with this it was always the Finnegan music and da dum dum da dum dum which yep. we would sing every time we had to run somewhere. <laughs> a lot of running from one place to another in this episode. <laughs> Did you notice uh, in the fight scenes, though, how obvious it is to see now when it's not Kirk or when oh, it's yeah. not again? I mean, because it was funny. There was a moment right toward the end of the fight. I think it was the moment where Finnegan leapt off the rock and tackled Kirk and they both like roll around on the ground. Logan was watching it with me and he was like, uh, that's not either one of the guys. Because, yeah, it's. It's pretty obvious. That's how they do it. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I would give this one top marks. I really love this episode. I, I've always really loved this episode. I think it's just a classic. It's just a hell of a lot of fun. The only the, the only thing I I've never liked about it is the is the Ruth part because she just she just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Well, is it time to fire up the old uh, I am Star Trek computer and find out what our next episodes are gonna be? I am, as you can, as you hear, it's uh, it's trying to do its thing. Oh, here we go! Oh, the number is the number of a just barely passing score when you and I were in high school, sixty-five. Uh oh, I can't find. Oh wait. Here it is. Couldn't find my list. That's because it's in a different book. I'm turning around like reaching for my compendium. <laughs> Number 65. Oh, no. Did you pick this one on purpose? <laughs> I beat <picked> my nose. <laughs> Why? How bad? How, what, you picked what did this I do? You did. You must, you must have it figured out now which ones we haven't done because... 
I wish. <laughs> oh, man, because you just happened to do it just right to one that we have not yet covered and one that I could easily go the rest of my life never covering. Oh, excellent. Oh, I uh, know what this one is. What is it? It's got to be... Um, Ah, Alexander, Alexander. Yes, it is Plato's stepchildren. Plato's ch- oh, stepchildren. God. Uh. I love this one. <laughs> so so let's have a theme month next month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Plato's stepchildren. Oh, we got to get Randy for this one. That'll spice it up for you. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, it would, because... Oh, we'd have trouble keeping him on point because he hates that episode. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it won't you be so bad. Gang up on me on that one. <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be so bad in a rewatch. I don't know, but I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't remember. Uh, Come on, man! Love for that <laughs> one. Oh, you got <laughs> you got creepy midgets. You got lousy music. You got poor act. Oh, I just don't like that one. So tune in next time, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Good Attitude. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2 True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.